this, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. And good evening. Good morning, wherever you are. This is Safety Wars for Tuesday, February 23. How's everybody doing out there tonight? Busy, busy, busy day. I hope everybody is being very productive. I know February was a very productive month for me. Hit a couple of milestones this month. I know we're uh, not only milestones, we had a couple of mountaintop experiences this month. Always nice to have those mountaintop experiences. What's a mountaintop experience? When you exceed all expectations. That's how I describe it. So, a lot of, you know, unfortunately, a lot of us have never had a mountaintop experience. So, uh, I had a, uh, somebody who I was following for years when I was in the political world. And then one day I was hosting my own political event and that person who I had been looking up to came there to hear me for a change. That was a mountaintop experience. That was what I call my John the Baptist experience, right? Where you're preparing the way for somebody else. Uh, so, yeah, we're still working on stuff and editing things from last week. Uh, and I wanted to discuss uh, something that happened uh, over the last week or so. You know, towards the end of the pro, uh, no, the middle, like, you know, when we, once you get through news, things of that nature. Uh, I hope uh, it was useful last night to review the EPA website about this whole situation out there in uh, East Palestine, Ohio. They had the mayor on uh, today, and uh, I didn't even mention his name. They just said the the mayor, and uh, we were catching that on some of the little TV that I watch ever since I started doing the podcasting and we're coming up on two years this week, ever since I uh, did the podcasting started that. And then we started to do this live. uh, We ended up, uh, or maybe I'm drinking my coffee. Uh, we started doing this uh, live. I haven't really watched TV, and it's been, you know, it changes your life. All you know, all that I really watch is Star Trek. I'll be, yeah, I'll put on a plug. I'm a big trekker. I've been a big trekker since uh, September of uh, 1973. I believe it was September 21st, on or about. Uh, that's when I uh, saw the animated series, and I believe the episode is called The Joker or the enterprise computer gets taken over. Maybe I'll do something on YouTube or something with that. Uh, but anyway, uh, that's really all I watch, and it drives my wife nuts. She's like, oh, we're watching this again, we're watching this again. And, you know, it doesn't help that they have free TV now, Pluto TV. They have two Star Trek channels, right? And they show three series. Unfortunately, they only show select episodes. So you're not going to see the whole series. But anyway, uh a lot of exciting things going on there also in the Star Trek world. Uh, but anyway, this is Safety Wars. And now they're... Uh, so getting back to the East Palestine situation, they, they, they're updating this stuff uh, daily uh, for the most part. Uh, so the uh, February 27th update, uh, more of the same. Now, they're not releasing... Uh, there's this is slight speculation, but I did some asking around and everything. They're not releasing specific details on homes uh, because that's like private information here. And uh, reportedly, they're going to be there until the place doesn't smell anymore. Right uh, now, that brings to us the question of: Let's say that you don't hit an exposure limit, but you're going to hit a, uh, but you're still have an odor. It's an irritant. So, uh, full disclosure here, 
there was uh, a uh, here you go. This is from a NBC News story from March 15th, 2004, the Ides of March 2004. And one of our listeners, uh, Kim, that's her birthday. It's a lifelong friend of mine. Uh, March 15th is her birthday. Anyway, uh, so uh, my former employer uh, was involved in this case. I got to read a lot of stuff in here. But uh, a factory worker claimed his lungs were ruined as a result of mixing flavoring oils using microwave popcorn was awarded $20 million by a jury Monday. Uh, the worker was the first of 30 former workers in a certain company in a certain place to have his suit heard against the two makers of the butter flavoring. Following a morning of closing arguments, the jury deliberated for a little while. So, uh, reportedly, according to this, is that the uh, person needed a lung transplant. So, what was one of the cases here with this, what was some of the details with this, was that the there is no PEL, REL, TLV, or anything like that for the popcorn flavoring. So, uh, and the, uh, 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 no, they just had warning labels on the SDS for the material and all, whatever else goes in there. I'm not even sure, and at this on MSDS, I'm not even sure that you need an MSDS for a food product like this. Now, that's sort of, I don't really handle that area. Food, the food injury, uh, food industry. But what happened was, uh, in lieu of a uh, PEL, right, and lack of a PEL or exposure limit, there no it doesn't mean that you don't have to protect your workers from that. So in this case, the uh, fla- flavoring flavoring was diacetyl. Right, D I A C E T E Y L, diacetyl, and what happened was it was a lung irritant. So the lung irritant, diacetyl, that was essentially the PEL. That was the warning property. So uh, basically, even though there were they were under exposure limits, it wasn't measurable or anything like that. But because it was a lung irritant, that is uh, the in effect the permissible exposure limit for that. So what's my point here? The nuisance odors in East Palestine, uh, uh, Ohio, right? No, they may be under all of the measurable amounts, but you still have an odor there, and that's a nuisance odor. People are complaining about all different side effects and things, and that, and we, no, we talked about the additive uh, uh, formula for, uh, in toxicology, where you add the PELs together, average amount, and you know there's a nice fancy formula for that, and you're able to determine whether you're ex- no, with a, assuming all the chemicals are have the same target organ, the same type of effects. Now you're able to uh, determine whether a combination of all those chemicals you're above the permissible exposure limits. There, right? You're able to set an action level and everything else with it. But any, it's all on the CSV and CIH exam and CHMM exam. But what uh, the idea is with that, well, it may be on the exam. It's in the body of knowledge. I'll leave it at that. I, uh, no, I'm sworn to secrecy with that. But what the idea is, is that these folks are still getting nuisance odors here. It's they're having irritated lungs, reportedly uh, laryngitis, uh, things, uh, uh, symptoms similar to like helium uh, inhalation where the voices go up high and all this other stuff, that's an issue, right? So, uh, you know, it's a big mess out there. How are we going to manage any of this stuff? And that's something that they're going to have to work out with the public health people and everything else. So that's something we're going to be keeping an eye on with that. So... Uh, now the, the website has been updated so far. The EPA had, I'll just read the, uh, uh, update. EPA has conducted 578 home re-entry screenings to date and continues to monitor the air in 15 stations. Everything is up on the EPA website. Check it out. Uh, 
blah, blah, blah. And they set up an information hotline. And uh, tomorrow, meaning today, uh, EPA will officially open a community welcome center at 25 North Market Street where members of the community can drop in to ask questions about response efforts and ask access informations. Now, it's my opinion. I, no, I'm not involved with the uh, actual... Uh, uh, I'm not involved with the actual investigation here, but I can be. Anyone wants to be, can be involved. Give me a call, 845-269-5772 or jim at safetywords.com. So give me a call, and uh, no, we can probably work together uh, out there on this. Uh, but uh, it's good that they're doing this and... Uh, you know, they're doing all this stuff. So uh, all the sample results are there. Now, we also talked about this, right? OSHA outreach training uh, yesterday. So with OSHA outreach uh, training, we had said the, uh, right, uh, I'm seeing, I, I don't know, going through my notes and emails and everything, I've run into this at least, I'm talking to my staff here, I, now we've run into at least three dozen times, right? Uh, so we've been wor working on projects in New York. And we run into this problem at least three dozen times. You have a contractor uh, that comes out of New York City. And the Department of Buildings has uh, 40 hours worth of training that's required. So that includes the OSHA 30-hour outreach course for construction and a couple of other courses like fall protection, scaffolding, things like that, whatever, whatever is relevant. And then they have a whole bunch of fitness for duty things. And we're running, we run into problems where they, right, people feel that, oh, yeah, I am, my employees are trained. They had an OSHA outreach course. That OSHA outreach course... It's just an awareness level course. Like you still need all the other training. I think it's 127 different areas of training or something like that. It's on the OSHA website for that. And it's also on the uh, safety awards and jcbtechnical.com websites. Uh, all of these uh, necessary trainings that you're going to need to need to do. They don't mention that. A lot of trainers do not mention that uh, in their training class. One of the problems with the outreach training classes, and again, I'm an outreach trainer in all four disciplines, uh, is that it varies from trainer to trainer. And if you're going to be, I've had uh, people go through the 30-hour course and the 10-hour outreach course, they don't mention a lot of stuff in there. So what don't they mention often? All the training that's required. It's an awareness level course. Now that's glossed over. Record keeping is glossed over. What's a recordable, what's not? What you have to report to OSHA, that's all glossed over, not even included on that. Employee responsibility. So I mentioned this yesterday. Sometimes when you're teaching managers, trainers will often concentrate on what the employee's responsibilities are. And if they're talking to employees, they'll focus on what the management's responsibilities are. Right, and that you have to. That if you're a trainer, you got to be careful for that. With that, because both employers and employees have issues. Uh, walking people through how to an no, there. Uh, a lot of these trainers have never been on an OSHA uh, inspection or dealt with OSHA, believe it or not. So they gloss over that. They don't know that, so they'll gloss over. Oh yeah, yeah, this is what you do. They have a couple of handouts there and whatever on the OSHA website you're supposed to use. And this is an opportunity. Uh, and this is an opportunity for the trainers to say, hey, uh, you know, this is not all there is to it, but a lot of trainers don't want to do that. So I'm going to tell you, uh, if you're going to be wondering what's on there, what you should be knowing and you worry uh, what you should know and what wasn't included in the class, give me a call at 845-269-5772. Or you can text me at that number or jim at safetywords.com and we will set you up with a consultation as and figure out what you really need uh, to know for this stuff. Uh, I had a client uh, recently uh, that did that and was he said it was the best hour that he ever spent learning what they specifically needed to know and we came up with a uh, plan for his company. And that's what we do here. 
All right, so on to uh, this. So COVID-19, right? So apparently the Department of Energy, I don't know. I'll be honest. I have no freaking clue how they got involved with this. With a, you know, you'd think the CDC, okay, maybe the public health service would get involved with this, or the Surgeon General sort of thing. Something like that uh, would be involved in this investigation here. But I'm reading this from abcnewsgo.com uh, uh, from yesterday. 9.18 p.m. it was released after this program aired yesterday. The news that the U.S. Department of Energy now believes with low confidence that the COVID-19 pandemic most likely was the result of a laboratory leak in China resulted in a firestorm of debate across the Internet. First reported by the Wall Street Journal and not independently confirmed by ABC News, the DOE, which oversees a system of laboratories in the U.S., changed its stance from undecided, becoming the second agency after the FBI to leave a lab... Accident resulted in uh, the Global Health Agency. For other U.S. agencies, believe the virus was a result of natural uh, transmission and that the virus known as SARS-CoV-2 jumped from animals to humans at a wet market. Two other agencies are undecided. So there is no consensus across the government. All right. So let's talk about this. There was a book released in uh, the early 2000s. Name of the book was Lab 257. All right. It was written by uh, right, uh, Lab 257, The Disturbing Story of, this is 2005, The Disturbing Story of the Government's Secret Germ Laboratory Paper, right? And the paperback was 2005. I read the book several times, but... No, uh, a lot of the book was disputed because uh, uh, they had um, made an assertion that Lyme disease came from Lab 257. What's Lab 257? If you go to the end of Long Island, New York, right, uh, you're going to take what is called, the, uh, it's on the northern coast of Long Island, the Orient Point Ferry. It goes from... Uh, Orient Point, New York, and it takes you to the submarine base, right? Right across the street from the submarine base in, uh, or across the harbor, I should say, a river, the submarine base in Connecticut, New Groton, uh, Connecticut. I always say Al Groton, Connecticut, but it's New Groton, Groton, uh, Connecticut. Anyway, uh, Lab 257 was the Department of Agriculture's uh, laboratory off off there, and uh, there was some, uh, uh, if you heard of uh, Operation uh, Paperclip for World War II with the Nazi scientists, some of them ended up there, and uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff and rumor, and you know, they call it Anthrax Island also in Silence of the Lambs, Anthony Hopkins thing. But anyway, you read the book, and the reason why a lot of people have a problem with it is made the assertion that Lyme disease was released from there. And upon further research, I believe it was 2014, 2015, they came out with the idea that the uh, uh, Lyme disease that they were experimenting in the lab had a totally different genetic identity than the uh, uh, endemic uh, uh, Lyme disease spread by ticks. I've had it three times, by the way. My son had it once. Uh, so, uh, but the book, what's important about the book? Okay, all this other stuff. And it documented sloppy, allegedly sloppy uh, uh, stuff going on there. So let's talk about this. You, We've all been on a job, whether it's a construction job, maybe a new process or something like that. And uh, people say, well, this is going to be the safest job ever. This is going to be uh, so safe and everything else. And then what happens is everyone's paying attention to what they're doing. Complacency gets in. Workarounds get in. And let's remember, the uh, human error goes into this. And 
uh, people are trying to work within the system. And Todd Conklin, uh, his last uh, podcast, went into this, right? The pre-accident investigation uh, went into this with medical uh, stuff, uh, medical uh, uh, safety professional dealing with uh, uh, medicine safety. But uh, and what was their po- the point is that the worker has to work around a system. And the worker makes the system work and makes decisions and everything else with this. And eventually there's going to be deviation, right, from the normal stuff going on. And what happens is uh, things happen. So according to this author, right, Michael Carroll, uh, stuff happened at Lab 257. Uh, The review on Amazon I'm looking at is Lab the first time Lab 257 takes you deep inside the secret world that presents startling revelations on virus outbreaks, biological meltdowns, infected workers, the periodic flushing and contaminated raw sewage into the Long Island Sound, and the insidious connections between Plum Island, Lyme disease, and the deadly West Nile virus, right? Book also probes what's in store for Plum Island's new owner, the Department of Homeland Security, in this age of bioterrorism. So, uh, now this is written right after 9/11. Do you think that this sort of thing is could uh, this sort of thing could happen at other labs? Well, what's alleged here at from this Lab Two Five Seven book? Maybe. Do now uh, you have uh, conflicting? There's no consensus as to where this COVID nineteen came from. The DOE uh, said, you know, it might be from a lab and another agency from the lab. But I know this much. My my thoughts on this are: it definitely was isolated in the lab. We know that. Where it came from, I don't know. I can't say. But it's not too much of a stretch to think that this might come from a lab based on our experience with human error, human behavior, and everything else that goes into this and uh, normalcy of deviance, uh, de- right, from what, what you're expected to do, bypassing uh, procedures, protocols, things of that nature. That happens everywhere. That's why it's important that we have multiple levels of protection here. We, you know, so uh, multiple levels here of everything. That's what safety is. You have capacity, you have resilience, you have safeguards in there. So if one thing fails, now something else could pick it up. It's sort of like uh, PPE. PPE is the last line of defense against all this stuff because it's the least reliable, and we know that. So you have other things like guard, equipment guards before that, maybe change the types of tools you're using. Uh, no, uh, all, everything else that goes in there before we worry about the PPE because that's the last line of defense here. And what do they do uh, with some of the reports of what I hear what goes on in China as far as safety is concerned uh, from legitimate sources, not uh, rhetoric here, uh, the, uh, you know, they may not be as strict as some other countries with this stuff. So it's something to think about. So, uh, so what do we know from the DOE report? The journal acknowledged, the Wall Street Journal, that it has not seen the report and relied on the account of people who have read the document. Only one of the details known... Only one of the details known is that the conclusion was reached with low confidence. The fact that the DOE changing its position to low confidence means the amount of evidence in the direction of lab leak or natural spillover is still very limited. It also means the DOA did not, is not dismissing the natural transmission theory. Academic molecular biologists are of this position, according to Dr. William Schaffner, uh, that this was a natural event just as the other two coronavirus transmissions from wild species to humans were first SARS and then MERS. Uh, Dr. William Schaffner and in fact, right, blah, 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 Vanderbilt. This is, and then going on what that is. What the report doesn't tell us. 
Because the public hasn't seen the report, it's unclear what evidence caused the DOE to change its mind, where that evidence came from, and what the term lab leak even means, right? Lab leak means different things, uh, different people. Uh, experts told ABC News that even if the COVID pandemic did occur as a result of a lab leak, it doesn't mean that natural transmission didn't occur. You could have both. In fact, it could mean a hypothetical patient zero was infected at the laboratory before spreading the illness elsewhere. You can see them operating in sequence. Let's say the lab leak uh, were correct and uh, the virus began to infect people at some of the, and some of these persons went to the wet market. And then it became an amplification, right? Bioamplification at the wet market where you had a lot of people getting impacted. Uh, why is this all important is uh, now, now, do we need different protocols? Do we need different controls in the laboratories? Uh, can we change procedures to make things a little bit safer, a little bit more in line uh, with human error, uh, no, concerning human error and everything else that goes into it? So all something to uh, consider here. So we're going to take a break as is our custom here. I know, I take the break whenever I want to, but we're going to take a break, and we'll get back to you in a minute. Whoops. Do-do-do. In the professional safety community, communication and planning are just a few keys to your program's success. The question many practitioners have is, where do I start? Dr. Jay Allen, the creator of the Safety FM platform and host of the Rated R Safety Show, has built a global foundation to help you along the way. Go to safetyfm.com and listen to some of the industry's best and most involved professionals, including Blaine Hoffman with the Safety Pro, Sam Goodman with the Hop Nerd, Sheldon Primus with the Safety Consultant, Jim Pozell with Safety Wars, Emily Elrod with Unapologetically Bold, and many others. As individuals, we can do great things, but as a team, we become amazing. Dial into safetyfm.com today and surround yourself with a powerful force of knowledge and support. OSHA recordables, first aid cases, catastrophic losses. You want answers? So do I. This is Jim Polzel with Safety Wars. That's right, I want answers, and I'm going to get those answers. So, uh, this is a story of my dreadful letter back from the Epoch Times. Recognizing there has been a deficit of trust in the federal government, and that's a quote, among East Palestine and residents uh, in the aftermath of the February uh, 3rd toxic train derailment we just talked about, EPA Administrator Michael Regan returned to the Eastern Ohio Village today. Regan attended a roundtable with students and teachers at the high school and talked to small business owners before holding a press conference uh, to commemorate that community welcome center that we mentioned. Located in downtown East Palestine, the welcome center is designed as a resource for residents and business owners. Good question is answered. I can, quote, I can promise that, that as this community continues to look forward we're going to keep to be here every step of the way for as long as it takes, Regan said. We aren't going anywhere, and I can tell you, and you can tell by the storefront behind me, we are here for the long haul. We want to make sure the community knows we're here for them at, we're, and we're bringing resources to bear for them. Uh, anyway, uh, okay, so that's a good, good thing, right? Let's talk, and we haven't talked about the markets uh, uh, lately. Dow Jones Industrial down today, closing at 32,656.70. S&P 500 down, 39.70. NASDAQ 11.455. Russell 2000, it's down slightly. Russell 2000 up, I'm pretty much holding the level. 18.96. U.S. 10-year Treasury note. 
Before I went on vacation, it was like 3.7. Now it's 3.939, and it's down slightly for the day. Bitcoin, uh, 23.144, and crude oil is at 76.80 a barrel. Uh, gas prices are down here. I, I've seen it actually for under $3 a gallon here in uh, the New York, New Jersey area. Right? If you want the no-name gas, that is. But some people, that's you know, not good enough for them. They want their real stuff. The high test, as we used to call it back in the day. Gold at 1833.20, down slightly. Silver at 21.16, down slightly. Platinum at 969.80, down slightly. And palladium at 1457.50. So those are your markets for the day. We're going to talk about U.S. Department of Labor uh, press releases here. So these were, uh, some of them, you know, were, uh, ooh, we go all the way back to the 23rd here. OSHA area office director, and this is from a U.S. Department of Labor McCarthy Building Company, signed an alliance to target workplace hazard at St. Louis BJC campus renewal project. Uh, OSHA Area Office Director William McDonald in St. Louis signed an alliance with McCarthy Building Companies Incorporated to provide a safe work site during Phase 3 construction of the BJC Healthcare Campus Renewal Project in downtown St. Louis. The alliance includes a partnership with the Mid-America Carpenters Regional Council, Missouri and Kansas Laborers District Council, and Building and Construction Trades Council. Project is a long-term uh, initiative to transform Washington University Medical Center through new construction and renovations. The campus includes Barnes Jewish Hospital, St. Louis Children's Hospital, and Washington University School of Medicine. It goes on and on, and then members will also continue to share information on OSHA campaigns to encourage workplace safety. So that's a great thing, right? O offering into an alliance. But the thing is, you don't need the alliance. Necessarily. You don't have to go through all this stuff, right? Uh, with them, it's a good idea and everything else, uh, you know. But remember, OSHA is a minimum. You can go and do this yourself, right, with your own company internally, changing that corporate culture thing. U.S. Department of Labor finds El Paso Metal Plating Company continues to willfully expose employees working with corrosive acids and eye injuries. Uh, I'm not going to mention the company, but there is 12 series of one willful a violation for a company. Uh, a federal, this is from El Paso, Texas from today. A federal workplace safety investigation of an El Paso jewelry metal plating finisher found the company again exposing workers to serious hazards, including willfully failing to protect people working with dangerous acids and other chemicals from potentially permanent eye injuries. So let's see what this is. And they posted the stuff here, right? Boom, boom, boom. And let's remember, everyone is innocent until proven guilty. And often these things are vacated or reduced and everything else. So citation one, item one, type of violation, serious. An exit route was uh, not kept free and unobstructed. $13,394. Citation one, item two, A, serious. The implant uh, uh, storage and unitization of all compressed gases and cylinders, portable tanks, rail tank cars, or motor vehicle cargo tanks are not in accordance with Compressed Gas Association pamphlet P1 1963-65. Yeah, the, the standard 60 years old, right? Good job there, right? Can't we get one a little bit more updated? On or about September 12, oxygen tanks are not properly stored. The condition exposed employees to struck by any explosion hazards in the following instances. Okay, so here it was. I'm gonna, I normally don't go into this, but this is where they fouled up, allegedly. On the south wall of the main work area, and again, it's the system, not the person, three oxygen tanks were approximately one foot away from spark-producing equipment. In the east corner of the main work area, two oxygen tanks were 
observed on the floor next to three fire extinguishers and approximately three feet from an acetylene tank. Those are supposed to be separated by a firewall or by 20 feet. In the plating room, there were, uh, don't quote me on that, I'm doing this from memory. Again, I just read this stuff. In the plating room, there were two carbon dioxide tanks next to a blue container with a label that read, Oxidizer, Severe Fire Hazard. So uh, that was 13,394. Citation one item two, serious. Uh, acetylene, not stored or used, right? I mentioned this. I, citation one, item three. The employer did not assess the workplace to determine if hazards were present or were likely to be present, which necessitated the use of PPE. That's a 1910-132 uh, thing. That was great. 15,625. This is an easy one to resolve. So usually every, we pick a month. I usually pick January with my customers. We're going to redo all the hazard assessments. Log it in, put it in an email, print out the email, put it with the safety manual. Yeah, yeah, we reevaluated everything. Right, easy. How do we do this? Job hazard analysis. That's another one, OSHA 30. Do they talk about job hazard analysis and safety plans? I, I don't know. Type citation one, item four. Serious. This is eye and face protection. Right. In the main work areas, employees are exposed to flying medical, metal particles, molten metal, liquid chemicals, acids, or caustic liquids, chemical gases, or vapors, and we're not wearing any form of eye protection in the following areas. They list six different areas. What's the uh, fine? 15625 uh, Citation one, item five. A, written respiratory protection program. All right, they had three uh, activities that probably required respiratory protection. That was another $15,625. Citation one, item 5B, medical evaluation for respirators. So let's talk about this. Uh, what, uh, what respirators? Well, first of all, what is a respirator? Respirator has a NIOSH approval, N-I-O-S-H, NIOSH, National Institute of Occupational Safety and Health. If it does not have a NIOSH approval, it is not arrest, legally a respirator. It is a mask. So this is how companies got around the respiratory protection standard for a lot of this stuff during the COVID was that they handed out masks. If you hand out a mask... You don't have to comply with 1910-134. The minute that you hand out a NIOSH-rated or NIOSH-certified respirator, that could be a filtering face piece or a tight-fitting respirator with cartridges and things, no, on up, supplied air, you have to comply with 1910-134 if it's a, uh, and all the requirements of which is a respiratory protection standard, and it's a respiratory protection standard for all areas of OSHA. Uh, also, Uh, so any of those so full filtering face fuse respirator, you got to do fit tests. You have to do medical evaluations with that. Now, uh, I had mentioned uh, previously, and they got zero uh, on that, right? I had mentioned previously that at my mother in law funeral, mother in law's funeral, I can't believe it's going to be three, uh, three years, two years, no, two years uh, this year coming up in a couple of, uh, at the end of next month, uh, somebody put on one of those fake masks, those imitation surgical masks and had a seizure while carrying the coffin, dropped the coffin. All right. That's how you do medical evaluation. And uh, citation one item five C was another 1910-134 violation, uh, with a fit testing requirement. They didn't find them on that one. And another one, serious one, respirator storage, zero, right, dollars. They didn't store respirators uh, properly. 
another one, citation one item six, serious housekeeping, right? 13,394. Another, next one, item one, citation one item seven, sewage not disposed of properly. Are you kidding me? I guess that might have been a backed up toilet like the post office had, uh, one of the post offices had, for all I know. The, the, item one, sign, uh, 7B. The lavatories were not provided with hot and cold or tepid running water. Okay. Uh, the honor about September 12, 2022, the employer did not provide lavatories with hot and cold or tepid running water. This condition endangered lives of right? So, okay, I don't understand this. Did not provide, maybe it's me. And I've been up for uh, since three thirty in the morning, and it's eight thirty at night here. Uh, at on or about September twelfth, twenty three, the employer did not provide lavatories with hot and cold or tepid running water. Does that mean that there was no water? I don't know. And eight A, uh, employees were permitted to uh, consume food in areas exposed to toxic materials. $13,394 fine. Item nine, citation one. Uh, listed or labeled electrical equipment was not used or installed in accordance, right? Another one, $11,100. And going on and on, broken parts on equipment. And... More electrical has to be marked high voltage. And let's see, anything else? GHS uh, violations here, uh, globally harmonized system, and everything else. So, what's my whole point here is 292,693. And these were not even willful, these were just serious violations. And it goes down, I mean, the violations go down the whole page. So what's my point here with this? They better get this fixed because I tell you what, if they don't get this fixed, uh, OSHA will be there back at a certain point in the future to verify that all this has been fixed and they're going to get hit with willful or repeat violations. New Hampshire roofing contractor faces 234000 in penalties for exposing workers to fall hazards again, this time at two Granite State work sites. So, uh, do looks like this is from uh, the 21st. Let's go through, I'm not going to go through these in painstaking detail. Uh, no confident person, $6,800. Uh, accident prevention tags, zero, uh, zero, 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 uh, 503, no fall protection training, $6,800. Portable ladder violations, 13750 So all that stuff going in there, all right? Federal panel upholds $10,000 U.S. Department of Labor citation litigated by a retailer for years over hazardous shelving. So this is from a retailer that we've all heard from. And uh, hazardous shelving. shelving. And uh, the proposed penalty of $10,684. Went to the occupational... No, one to the U.S. Court of Appeals, there's more to this than what's here, all right, and what they mention here. I, this is had this operates about 10,500 stores and clubs under 46 managed in 24 countries and e-commerce websites. Maybe they have this situation Okay, here it is. In response to a report of a worker's injury on February 
2017, OSHA investigators determined that the warehouse workers suffered long-term injury when their head and neck were struck by a package that fell from storage racks above. Inspectors learned another employee operating a forklift in the adjacent aisle inadvertently struck the pallet on which the merchandise was stacked. All right. I think there's more to it than this. I think there's a lawsuit in here, and uh, the retailer did not want to admit guilt on this, and they dragged this out as long as they could with this. And I'm sure it's not uh, over. Here's another press release from February 23rd. Uh, this was at a $2 at a Dollar Tree in Mount Pleasant, Texas, and it's the same stuff that we always hear. Exits blocks at boxes stacked dangerously. Uh, how much in fines here? $254,478 for three repeat violations. Let's click on this here. Exit routes. Repeat violation. $156,000. Repeat serious. Uh, housekeeping. Right? Zero dollars. All right? Citation one item two. Repeat serious. Uh, secure storage. Storage of interior created a hazard. Boxes stored in tiers are not stacked, blocked, or interlocked, and limited in height, so they were stable and secure against sliding in or collapse. $98,000. So the whole thing, $254,000 for three repeat things. I don't know. Hard to say what's going on here. And U.S. Department of Labor cites a, another warehouse company for exposing workers to ergonomic hazards, uh, this time in Colorado Springs. I actually worked that was on the build crew for this uh, facility here. It's for a complete... Uh, for complete uh, disclosure here. Uh, this also had, all right, this facility, all right, according to a news story that a listener sent us, this facility had another uh, situation and made the news. And the, uh, now, uh, we have HIPAA stuff going on in work and everything else, or you're not supposed to in, in, uh, disclose medical situations of employees. Uh, right. And every state has its own laws and privacy laws and, you know, customary things. Now, and I don't want to get into HIPAA because it's no, I'll get an attorney to explain that. But HIPAA is not what you think it is, right. When it comes to workplace uh, injuries, uh, where an employee uh, had a medical emergency, collapsed, and they just took the guy out to the hospital and said, okay, back to work, is what's alleged to have happened. They didn't manage it properly, my opinion, from what based on the news stories, and now they're having issues with all of their uh, employees. So uh, with that, so figure out what you're going to do. And, uh, do, do, do. And we're going to take a little break here again. Oh, one. Is your safety training old, stale, and hackneyed? Is your safety trainer still preaching a warped version of behavior-based safety? How about safety training that actually addresses your hazards in your workplaces and is not standardized baloney from 25 years ago? Contact the Safety Wars team at safetywars.com or call Jim Pozel at 845-269-5772. Remember, if you're receiving this message, you are the solution to unsafe workplaces. So, we're coming up to like 200 programs in a couple of days here. Hard to believe. And then also season three of Safety Wars. Uh, something else I want to point, we are 71 days uh, from the end of the COVID emergency, all right, uh, which is going to be May 11th. And you might have heard, I'm hearing commercials right now. Hey, your COVID, uh, the health insurance that they weren't able to cancel during COVID or this benefit is running out, this benefit is running out, blah, 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 blah. 
guess what? Now you have uh, issues. Uh, uh, now, where people are losing benefits and some of the other programs, and they're, no, they're closing that on November 11th, the federal programs. So it's uh, pretty uh, uh, shocking here with this. Some other miscellaneous, we'll call it the potpourri, right? Government shut down the internet more often than ever, according to one report. More countries shut down the internet in 2022 than ever before, according to a new report by digital rights researchers, as the threat of digital authoritarianism races up the agenda of many governments worldwide. Authorities in 35 countries instituted internet shutdowns at least 187 times. Triggers for shutdowns have included protests, conflict situations, elections, and even examinations. I don't know what that means, right? Whatever the situation, they make it uh, substantially more difficult for people to communicate. So let's talk about this for a minute. And there was a, another news story I heard in, uh, on the radio in the car uh, on the way to this program, I had uh, my son. I don't know how the game ended. He was playing in a basketball game, and I had to leave with like four minutes left in the game to make it here to do the show. And uh, right, where students got stranded apparently, and they were without cell phones for two days. They said they had the best time in their life because they were without electronics. Uh, I, I don't know all the details. I know it's on the radio. I don't know if it's true or not true. I'm not able to vet things. But this is part of the problem with all this electronic stuff. Breakdown in communication. We're at its mercy. One of the advantages of the lockdowns during COVID here was that people got sick of being inside after about two weeks. We know all that. When we lived through it, right? Everybody. And people actually went outside and talked to their neighbors. Right? Uh, one of my neighbors was actually pretty funny. Uh, she said, and we're talking, and uh, she's the uh, CEO of a large uh, special education uh, company here. And uh, hello, Diana, if you're listening. And she said uh, to me, uh, oh, well, what do you do? Oh, well, I'm, uh, you know, I'm a, I own a safety consulting firm. And she says, oh, do you know where I can find a certified safety professional? I said, you're looking at him. It was pretty funny. I never had, that never happened. Her, she or her jaw just dropped. And we had a whole uh, conversation there with uh, you know, masks and respirators and everything else. And then we were able to help her out with her thing there. But again, going out and talking to people, I used to hate, and I, I know I recognize this early on. This is way before smartphones. I worked in a corporate environment. People would send emails. That's all that we had were emails and maybe, you know, text messages on the uh, flip phone sort of thing. And maybe a Blackberry. Guys, what five foot away from me has a simple safety question sends me an email. I said, dude, I'm right here. What are you doing? Well, I want, you know, I'm a, no. Okay. This is simply, no. Yes, no. Whatever. Right? You could have talked to me. That's, we're missing something here. What the ability to talk and communicate to people. It's, uh, you know, one of those things that, you know, people either love me or hate me over it. So, uh, For some reason, I don't know how much time I have left on the program. Okay. All right, five uh, and a half minutes. Here. Uh, doo -doo -doo. What else we got? That's pretty much all I have for Safety Wars. I ran through all my material here. I'll finish off with this one. EPA and Justice Department file a complaint alleging public health endangerment caused by a certain company's uh, carcinogenic air pollution. Today, on behalf of the U.S. EPA and in coordination with the U.S. Attorney for the Eastern District of Louisiana, 
The Department of Justice filed a complaint under Section 303 of the Clean Air Act against a company to compel the company to significantly reduce hazardous chloropene emissions from its neoprene manufacturing facility somewhere in Louisiana. The complaint asserts that the company's operations present an imminent and substantial endangerment to the public health due to chloropene. So, like I mentioned with vinyl chloride, right, with this East Palestine thing, chlorine is a very pervasive thing. If something has chlorine in it, a chloro, right, we're talking, right, chloroform, DDT, dioxin, polychlorinated biphenyls, a.k.a. PCBs, even gaseous chlorine at, let's say, a water treatment plant. These are dangerous materials. Uh, That being said, chlorine and chlorinated water is probably, my opinion, it ranks up there with the uh, discovery of fire, right, and the wheel. Uh, Because uh, in two or three generations of chlorinated water, in the United States, uh, life expectancy, like, double. So, uh, again, chlorine, very dangerous. Uh, so uh, the company is uh, here uh, being sued uh, by uh, the EPA, and uh, it's uh, chloropene is a chemical. It's likely to be carcinogenic to humans, approximately 20% of the population living within two and a half miles of the facility or children under the 18. And 800 to 1,000 are children under the uh, uh, age of five. And uh, children are particularly vulnerable to carcinogens like chloropene. So going on and on and on. Right? So good things uh, going on. And what else do we have here? All right, that's all I have, and I just wanted to wish everybody a good night uh, from Safety Wars. We'll see you tomorrow, God willing. For Safety Wars, this is uh, Jim Polzel. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.